Um, so my name is Chris Wickland. Um, I am married to a lovely wife called Tracy. I have five children. He's my eldest. Yeah. Sat there. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so Zach at the church, he helps uh, do all the worship pastoring and, uh, and also he helps with the youth group and stuff. Um, and yeah, so I've got five children. Uh, next one down is Joseph. He's at university and I've got a 15-year-old Serenity lady. So she's like a t already about a 22-year-old girl lady. Um, and then two younger boys, one called Obadiah, who's 10, and my youngest, Ezra, who's seven. So we've got a good, good age group. And my wife, bless her, she homeschools schools them as well so uh, they've all been homeschooled so they've, they've all done well um, so and uh, yeah I'm a pastor of uh, a small network of churches down down sort of the Fairham South Coast area and been been a full-time pastor now for about 11 years well I say full-time I was part-time for the first four and a half years and went part-time for the duration of that time the, the, the latter part and um, and so what I'm going to do today I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story of how I became a Christian in the first place, which uh, I'm just going to put out there to start with. It, it's not even a story I like saying because because it, it is it is a bit out there. It is a little bit like you've probably not heard testimony like this before. You know, probably the last thing you've probably come across this is is in that, that book by that lady called From Witchcraft to Christ. It's that's kind of like my my story and all that occult stuff. And then how that led me to, to Christ and then what, and a little bit on from when I became a Christian and then some of the things that God did for me to clean me up from the mess. Um, and then that will then lay, a pay, lay the stones, if you like, for the next session, which will be on the prophetic side. And uh, is, is it me doing the third session as well? Yeah. 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 On prayer. Uh, and so I'll do like a teaching on prayer and things like that. So this it's it's all relevant. But I wanted to I was being told to start with my story first. So you get to know a bit about me. But also, I want, I'm not going to explain things because some of the things that, that I might say, you were like, can you explain that? I'm not going to explain it because I just, you know, if we go down those rabbit holes, we might go somewhere we don't want to go. I'm just going to say it as it is. You make of it what you will, okay? So I was born in uh, a place in Scotland called Alexandra in 1972. Yeah, any 70 uh, births here? Yeah. It was uh, the 70s were great. And so I was born in Scotland in 1972. And I lived in Scotland for about 10 years. My dad was a, a submariner. So, you know, he was at Faz Lane uh, Naval Base. And then from there, eventually they moved down to the south coast. And I've, I've been stuck here ever since. Um, but no, I'm used to it now. And, and, but as a child, I, I, I was plagued with constant paranormal uh, events that happened to me. There was no real rhyme or reason for it. My earliest memories just began with all these weird things happening to me. And it, it started when I was about three or four years of age, was the, the earliest thing I can remember when it began. And uh, I remember we were, we, were, we were traveling from a friend's house, my dad's friend's house, and we were going back home and it was, it was quite late at night. And, um, or yeah, it was late at night. And, and, and I remember, it was about three or four, and I remember looking out of the car window and as I looked up to the sky, I saw this red light, like a red star, red light. And, uh, and I just had this very peculiar feeling that I was being watched by it. And uh, that sounds crazy. By the way, I am actually quite normal now. <laughs> All right. Aren't I, Zach? Yeah, yeah, I paid you. Yeah, and I am quite normal. I have a very normal wife, very down-to-earth day-to-day uh, life. But some of the things I'm going to tell you will be like, oh, this, is, this, is, this is odd. And so I felt like I was being followed, not followed, by being watched by this, this kind of red light. And then basically from that time onward, it was like that was, that was the, 
um, the, the beginning of when my life really just, took, I would say, took a, a dive down because it really, these things really messed me up as a child because I just didn't understand why me, you know, why were these things happening to me? Why was it that nobody else had these experiences? So it made me very alone, made me very aloof from people. Um, it gave me a lot of issues with authority because um, I, I just come to a place where I knew there was more to life than what I was seeing with the natural eye. There was so much more. So things like teachers were teaching you <coughs> science and maths and things like that. I was like, yeah, I get that, but there is so much more here that you're not telling about. I knew there was another dimension to the world around us, which was the spiritual dimension because of the experiences that I had. And so that was kind of like my backdrop as, as I was growing up. And so when I was about four or five now, I... I I was, my dad, mum and dad were living in marriage quarters uh, in Scotland and again it was, must have been quite late at night and I was just, just lying there in my bed um, just looking around and then I suddenly heard this noise and it sounded like a, a swishing noise uh, and with, a, with like, a, like a hum to it and it was coming from outside the house and it was getting closer and closer and closer to the house. Um, now where we lived it was up on a, a large hill uh, with other houses sort of tiered down so there's no way cars or any vehicles could get up there uh, and this noise came really really loud to, came to the side of the house where my bedroom was and of course being a kid you know I didn't know how to cope with that so I just hid under the covers and then that was the last I remember of that until several years later which I'll come to later. Um, every night I would hear this kind of weird banging noise that would that would appear in my room. It would just start with like, it almost sounds like a heartbeat and it would get louder and louder and louder. And then something would appear with the noise and start shifting across the room and uh, and moving towards me. And, and this wasn't all in my mind because I remember calling my mum one night and she came up and she heard the noise, but as she came into the room, the noise then started to fade away. Um, so she'd heard it as well. And so they didn't know where it was coming from or what it was. So this was kind of like my introduction as a child, really young child into, and this happened every night pretty much. So this, this was kind of like my life. Um, and then I would have these really peculiar nightmares. Uh, and in these nightmares, I'd be, I'd be taken somewhere by these, what I could only call like little demonic creatures. And, uh, and they would make me do all kinds of weird things. They would, they would show me something like an object and, it, and they would spin it in 3D. And I would, I would understand its mass and everything about it and how, you know, all sorts of weird things. And they would test me and do all these kind of crazy things to me. And... Um, and again, I just, I just didn't have any understanding or any context to what was going on me. And so at school, my behavior became really bad, so much so that I had to see a psychiatrist because they just couldn't understand why I was so badly behaved. Because I believed there was a higher authority, but it wasn't my parents and it wasn't the teachers and it wasn't everything else. So as you can imagine, I was uh, not fun to, to be around. Uh, and again, with being quite, as a child, quite lonely, quite depressed, because I just couldn't tell anyone about this, because if I did, you know, it probably put me in a, in, a, in a place where there's some padded wallpaper or something. So I, I just didn't, at that time, felt it was right to say anything. Even with a child psychiatrist, she couldn't really quite get through to me um, as to why my behaviour was so bad. Now, being in Scotland, they had a slightly different education system that, that you have down here. So we had the strap and all sorts of things like that. So when I moved down to England, they kind of banned it down here. But in Scotland, they, they still did it. You know, I can't say it didn't do me any harm, but it did hurt. And, um, and so I was getting the strap probably about two, three times a week at school. And that's how bad, bad my behaviour was. Um, 
And so we moved then from those marriage quarters um, into uh, this place. So although we were kind of in the area to this night, this little bungalow in Alexandria. Mm-hmm. And again, just weird stuff was going on all the time. Every night when I'd go to sleep, uh, I'd feel this invisible hand push down on my back just to let me know that it's still happening, it's still going on. You know, we haven't forgotten you, as it were. Um, and where am I? Yeah, and so weird stuff was happening now that that that, that really does even today. I, I still wonder what on earth was that. So I went to. We used to go to the park. Me and my mum, uh, my dad was at work, so we'd go to the park. And I remember one day feeling drawn to go through these bushes. And I went through these bushes, and as I went through, I heard this kind of clap round my ears, and I ended up in this this wonderful place. And the, the trees that the that were like that kind of wide, with this big sort of purple vine that was draped off them. It was everywhere, and I remember picking it up and looking at it and feeling it, it was like this velvety thing. And, and as a kid, I was like, oh, it's like Tarzan land, you know, because he always swung on those vines, didn't he? It looked exactly like that. So I, I think I had a little swing on one of the vines. And then I heard my mum very distantly calling me to, to, you know, where are you? So I came out from these bushes again. Again, I heard this clap around my ears. And she was like, where have you been? I've been looking for you for half an hour. But to me, I'd literally just walked into this place and only been there for, well, I'd say a minute, two minutes, and then walked out. And uh, went, went back to the, uh, the park the next day and uh, went through the bushes and there was nothing there but a brick wall. Uh, so the place, the place didn't exist. But for me, I mean, I saw something that, that was very real. So the, the, again, these are the sort of the experiences I was having as a child, which are just mm-hmm. off the, are you okay? You okay with me? Uh, you like, he's, he's, he's sitting there looking. <laughs> Wide eyes. <laughs> this is not what I wanted him to do. <laughs> We think it's great. This is normal. Okay. Right. Keep going. Uh, So um, yeah, and so again, as my in my childhood, I had a lot of strange experiences with what we would call UFOs and things, lights following me, all sorts of stuff. And people saw this as well. It wasn't me just seeing it in my head. People, I would sense it was going to happen. Then it would happen, and then other people would witness that as well. Um, And so. This went on for a long time. Now I was about 12 now. And now most of my dad's side of the family, well, actually, I'm my mum's side of the family, they all live in Wales, sort of Pembroke, Dock, Tenby area. And, uh, and so I'd be, I'd be sent down there for the six-week summer holidays, which I really enjoyed. And I remember being down there, and I think they had, like, a late birthday for me or something, a 12th birthday. And, you know, I went to sleep that night. And then I woke up probably about 3 o'clock in the morning, and then... I heard that noise that I heard when I was a child, that swishing noise, that electronic hum sort of sound. And, and I, because of everything that happened to me, I'd already had a growing interest in psychology and things. I was like, okay, this is, this is obviously my mind playing tricks on me. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna sit up and just see this thing out because it must only be something in my head that's fierce. I'm just gonna sit this thing out. Uh, and the noise, whatever it was, was coming closer to the house and it got louder and louder till the, till the glass started rattling in the, in the pane. There was only single pane glass in those days. And it was, it was rattling in the window. And then the bass hum becomes so loud, um, I felt it like it just reverberated the back of my head. And then I passed out. When I, when I came to, I was lying on the bed with this eyes shut and my head forced against the wall. And, uh, and this, this voice in my head was saying, you're not permitted to see what's going on here. And you could see pulsing light on, reflecting on the wall behind me. And uh, I was completely paralyzed and I was just completely in terror. Mm. And I was crying, I was shouting, but nothing would come out of my mouth, just, just nothing. 
And then there was this almighty sound like an explosion and the sound of jets just roaring past the house and then instantly it stopped. And, uh, and then after that, the whole kind of UFO thing became even more increased. And so what, what, what as a consequence of this, it, it made me question, what is the meaning of life? You know, there has to be more to life than what I'm seeing there. So as a 12-year-old as a kid, I was asking, you know, quite adult questions. Is why am I here? What is the point of my existence? You know, and so, again, that then led me into more stuff. And so, eventually, in time, um, I got into all kinds of things. So I joined a cult called the Rosicrucians, which is, uh, I found out years later, is a form of Freemasonry, but the worst form of Freemasonry. So that wasn't particularly useful. Um, and um, yeah, so it took a lot of mess to clear that up. And, and, and I got very interested in the occult and because that to me was like that had the answer. I mean, this must be it, right? Because it's a spiritual dimension that I, that, that I hadn't seen before and I was beginning to look into it. And eventually uh, I got to a point where I was actually a practicing witch. So that's, so all those early experiences <coughs> then led me into witchcraft. And incidentally, another thing that led me into witchcraft was at that time, as I was reading a lot of books by people like David Eddings, Michael Moorcock, etc. And they were kind of like sword and fantasy books. And so as a young, as a young child, I was like, oh, this stuff, I would like to become a wizard or I'd like to get into witchcraft. And actually it was those books that gave me the boot into so you know when i when no disrespect but when i you know the whole jk rowling stuff come out and children like yeah just read it doesn't matter you can watch the films it's like it really it really isn't good and i remember at that time when the first first jk rowling movie came out uh i went on the internet and just did a search uh in respect to what the witches think of this film they thought it was great they said this it's like it's a great it's a great introduction to witchcraft it will help a lot of young people get involved and so they so they they saw it as a positive thing so for me that kind of stuff is like a serious no-go area and i'm sure most most christians would agree mm-hmm. um and so you know, and when I was at school, we got into, into all kinds of things. Uh, we were doing, um, got involved into Ouija boards. Uh, I remember one day we did, we did one at our house. And I'm not saying these things to glorify the devil, because where I'm going to will show that God is obviously way bigger than that. Yeah. But I'm saying these things because there is a spiritual dynamic to this world, which I would say probably most Westerners don't really appreciate it. And, it, and it's very real. And we have an enemy who's very real and he really does want to stop the church succeeding in what she needs to do. Um, and so it's important to, to know this. So I remember we did a Ouija board round, round our house and, you know, and, and someone thought someone was mucking about and things. And then suddenly all the curtains just moved up. There was like a blue figure just sitting there in the middle of the room. Everyone freaked and ran out uh, of the house. And this was in my parents' house. So my poor parents had no idea. Goodness knows what I'd opened that house to. I was getting so dark into the occult. I mean, I, around all my room, my bedroom, I had occultic symbols under posters and stuff. Um, and then I built, I made a, a one mile radius pentangle around our house so that I was in the center of it, thinking it would protect me from evil, but not actually realizing it was encouraging more um, of the same stuff. Also, by this time, my mental health as a teenager was, was really quite bad as well. I was suffering from deep depression. I was quite suicidal, etc. even as a teenager. And uh, I had attempted, you know, badly a few times. But it was just something that, that was ongoing. And, and I remember one night, um, I was in my room doing something with witchcraft, and I fell into an open vision. 
And in this open vision, there's, uh, I came into this big room and uh, there was a demon up, up, up on a dais and he was turning around with his big wings and stuff and he turned around and he, and he said to me, he said, you're going to die. He said, we have deemed that you are going to die. And I was like, no, I'm not going to die. And I was arguing with it, so I'm not going to die. And he showed me how I was going to die. And he showed me the street and the, no, he didn't tell me the day, but I could see the scene of what was going to happen on the day that I was going to die. So park that, if you will, and we'll come back to that a little bit later. Um, whilst all this was going on, I, start, I had one night this really peculiar dream. Now, in this dream, um, I was uh, in Switzerland with these two other guys who at that time were also practicing witchcraft, they're friends of mine. And there was three of us, so we were stood... We had all this kind of like, it looked like Chinese regalia just on, you know, like, like um, ornamental type stuff. We were all dressed like this. And there was this huge big fish, which was Leviathan. But I, I don't understand. I knew in the dream that it represented Satan, but I didn't really understand quite the full ramifications of it as I do now. And in this dream, Leviathan was swimming in this, in this big sea. And the challenge was, if you could go into the mouth of Leviathan and not fear, then you would live. That was, that was the challenge. And so my first two friends went in and ooh, they got gobbled up. And then, then I went into its mouth and again, fear rose in me. And just as I was about to be eaten, suddenly an unseen hand pulled me out of its mouth. And then I saw these scenes in my early life where some mysterious hand had protected me from harm. And I remember these events in my life where, you know, I was on a building site and stuff should have collapsed on me, but it didn't and all these different things. And so I could see there was an invisible hand. And then, it, then the dream zoomed forward into the future. And in the future, I was, uh, and I didn't understand it at the time, but I was dressed in all this like Egyptian regalia. And I had this big mitre on my head and hovering over my head was this uh, title which said Master of Dreams, just hovering over me. And I was walking in the land of Egypt. I could see all these pyramids and stuff like this. I didn't have any idea what that meant, you know. And it was only probably about 10 years ago that I was pondering on it in the shower. I don't know why in the shower. <laughs> and it was like, that guy is Joseph. And I un instantly understood then, you know, because he was the master of dreams. And I understood that that dream was referring to Joseph. And so even before I got saved, and I knew that dream was from God as well. Even before, before I was saved, I knew that dream was from God. And I knew that it meant something, but I didn't know quite what it meant. But I could see that the witchcraft stuff was bad. I could see that God had protected my life from harm. And I could see that somehow in the future that, that he was calling me to do something. But I didn't really understand as to what it was. Um, and so then I was doing a lot of witchcraft by this time. I had a really bad reputation at school. I was, I was a really dark, evil child. I remember one of my head teachers, she saw me uh, a few years back. And she said, because my name was in the paper said to me you know I'd always thought I'd see your name in the papers I thought it'd be for murder she said but to see you know what you're doing now is, is incredible because I mean I was that dark wow. I, I remember some um, some guys from school again this is what, pretty much when I first got saved so I was about 17 when I came came to Christ so this is probably about when I was about 23 and I walked up up my road and there was like a spa and uh, there was some friends from school it's quite late at night and they were all drugged out lying on the floor because yeah, that's what you do by the spa around our area. I don't know why. And, um, and I walked past them and they just said, is that you, Chris? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, wow, what's happened to you? You're like, you're glowing with light. He said, you used to be this really dark, evil guy. Or something. They, they hadn't seen me since that time, but they instantly saw the, the change over me. I mean, that's, that's how bad <laughs> that I was. 
And anyway, so one day I was doing a witchcraft ritual in the local woods where I live. And I was just turning to go back, back home after I'd finished. And then this voice spoke to me as clear as day. And I can't to this day describe it. The Bible says it's like the sound of rushing waters or something. It, it was like, it was like every fiber of my being resonated to the voice. And I knew in the moment that he spoke to me, I knew that he, it was Jesus. I knew that he was God. And I knew that he was the creator of everything. And I knew that he was speaking to me. So, you know, instant theological download there. Got the whole Trinity thing, right, you know, just from the get-go. And, and so I knew instantly that this was God and it was Jesus. And he was talking to me and he, he said to me, I want you to stop what you're doing. I want you to come to know me and you can be forgiven for this. But I didn't understand what he meant as I, what are you talking about? And because I'd had open visions with demons before, having God speak to me was really kind of not that new. It was just like, I've never had God speak to me before, but other than that, I'm used to this kind of stuff. So I kind of dismissed it, if I'm honest with you, um, which seems ironic, crazy today. Um, and so a week later, I think I was doing something else with witchcraft. And again, he said to me, you know, please stop what you're doing. Come to know me. You can be forgiven for this. Mm. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I just don't understand what you mean. Because, you know, as a child, I'd, I'd lost all my moral compass. I didn't know what right and wrong was. People would say to me, you can't do that. And I'd be like, but why not? Because it's wrong. But why is it wrong? I just didn't compute right or wrong. You know, I, I was just I was so evil as a child. Um, yeah. But this time, and he'd never ignore God three times, okay? Just take it from me. It's not a good idea. And, and this time I was, I was in my bedroom, again, doing something with witchcraft. And this time I slapped hard across each side of my face. So I didn't feel the pain, but the blow of it. And I was like, what is going on? And he shouted at me. He said, will you please stop what you're doing and come to know me? You can be forgiven for this. And I'm like, I really didn't quite understand what he was talking about. So I kind of got on my knees and said, oh, I'm sorry, I won't do this anymore. But it was all very superficial. Next day I was back to my tricks again. Um, but in that week, uh, I just randomly met this young girl I knew from school, or, you know, because I'd left school by now, but I knew her from school. And she said, hey, do you want to, I don't know why she said it. Obviously, it's God. She said, hey, do you want to come along to church? And I said to her, yeah, your Christian God keeps bothering me. So, so I, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll go along. And, and so I went along and, you know, it was, it was a C of E church and it, it was fine. And, uh, but halfway through, uh, I, I, I said, I said some prayer and, uh, and I said something like, oh Lord, I don't know you yet. Um, you know, and I've been doing witchcraft and the whole church is like, who is that? And I just said some random prayer. And afterwards I, I was invited to um, the youth group, which was known as Cypher in those days. Do we have any Church of England people here today? Do they, do they still, do you still have Cypher? It is still an option. For, um, it's one of the, the youth group names that I think is Scripture Union. Right. Allow, or used to anyway. Yeah. Church Youth Fellowship Association or something. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. But yeah, it was, but it, it was good. And I would say if it wasn't for that group, I probably wouldn't be here today. So, you know, so they, 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 were, they were really good guys. And so I went to this youth group after church. And because I, I was so used to spiritual things, I was sat amongst these Christians. They're all young, apart from the youth leaders. And, and, they, and I could see that 
all of these people were linked into this force that was in the room. Now, I recognize this force as the person of the Holy Spirit now, but at that time, I could sense this massive force of, of spiritual energy in the room, and they were all linked into it. But what bemused me was that they didn't even know it. Oh my God. I was like, I could see they were connected to this, and it's like, but they're living, in, well, not they were living, but they were acting like they had no idea or understanding. So I was really intrigued by this. I was like, what is this? So I kept going to see what on earth this was all about. <laughs> And, and it was there that, you know, I heard the gospel story about how Jesus died for me on the cross. And I got the whole gospel story there. And they gave me this tract. Was it Journey for Life? Do you remember them? Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. And so they said, oh, you know, take it home, have a read and, you know, and everything. So I remember taking it home and reading it. And, uh, and I remember getting on my knees and thought, what I'm going to do is I'll do a practice run of giving my life to Jesus. And so this is not the real thing, it's just a practice run. I don't know why I thought that. So I got on my knees and I said the prayer on the back thing and said, you know, and I, I give my life to Jesus. And it was, as I said, it was a practice run. And as my, my eyes were shut, instantly, I just, I just felt these hands grab me and pull me in. And, as, and I could see this sea of people as far as the eye could see. And that was now my new family. And I immediately instantly knew that, that that trial run was actually the day I actually got saved. So I actually got born again there. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, but then because I really just come from witchcraft to Christ, you know, you, you don't just come into Christianity and everything's fine. That there, there was a real battle for my soul on now. And so I was constantly having this pull, push, come back to witchcraft, come back to witchcraft. Because, there, you know, there, and I'm not going to tell you the things I did, but there is real power in witchcraft. And it's very dark, it's very evil, and it's very powerful. But so is prayer. And if Christians realized how powerful prayer is and, and stuff, then man, you know, the, what the witches do might look great, but a lot of it is parlor tricks and illusions and delusions. But what we do is genuine, it's real, it's powerful, and it's holy, and it's pure. And um, so, I, as I said, when I came into, into Christianity, I had a lot of depression, a lot of issues, a lot of baggage. Um, you know, and I had some really good Christian older people that basically let me stay at their house for a period of time and I know I don't know how they put up with me but they just they just dealt with me they gave me a firm hand and just dealt with me and again if it wasn't for people like that who'd invested into me like that uh, again I wouldn't be here you know because they really they really helped me and gave me some basic life skills and you know how to use a hoover and stuff like that just like <laughs> things that you do as Christians and eat quiche I didn't know that quiche yeah. was, um, and so I had a lot of depression, a lot of issues. And, and I remember one night um, that it, I was with some young guys and they got saved at the same time as me. And, um, and I said to them, I'm, I'm, I'm quitting Christianity. I'm going back to witchcraft because the pull was so strong. And I said, I'm just, I'm just going back to witchcraft. I can't, can't fight this anymore. And uh, that night was going to be my deciding night. So we went to church. And it was one of those nights, you know, when the pastor preaches the sermon that's just for you. And, and that night he was preaching about heaven. Now, I always knew, even when I was doing witchcraft as a witch, I knew that my time was limited and I knew where I was going. Wow. I mean, I knew it. I knew that I was going to hell. There's no, no two. But I would, I would trade in eternity in hell for 70 years of a bit of power on earth. I mean, that's the crazy things that, that you think because you're deluded. You know, you just don't, you don't think clear. And... Um, yeah, so I, 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 this guy was preaching about heaven. And it was then that night that I realized, I know that if I go back to this, I know where I'm going. 
but I know if I stay with this, that's where I'd really like to go when I die. And so that night I resolved, I'm not going to leave the faith. I'm going to stay in the faith. And that night God gave me this lovely dream. It was a, it was a two-tiered dream. So the bottom half of the dream was the actual dream. And the top half of the dream was just the, the glory of God, just, just throughout the whole, whole night. And I sensed his hand on me all night. And, and as I was waking up in the morning, he just really, I really heard, clearly heard him say, um, I'll never let you be tempted or tested like that ever again. You know, so God is good. And um, so later on, so remember that prophecy that devil, that demon gave me? Well, again, it's probably about a year now after being saved. I'm riding down that road and this whole scene, but I hadn't quite remembered it until you're in the scene. And the scene came into being as the demon had showed me. So I'm riding down my, my, on my bike down the road and then a, a girl from church said, hey, Chris. And I looked over and said, oh, hi. As I looked across to her and I waved her because I was on my bike. As I looked back, suddenly there was this black car on the right side of the road with everything was black, blacked out, windows like illegally blacked out. You couldn't see anything. All the, the lights were blacked out. This whole car was jet black. And it came from the right side of the road onto my side of the road and came straight at me. And to this day, I don't know what happened. I, I, I just did something and then it just went past me and then, went, then it just vanished. It just, wow. it just gone. Um, and I was like, wow. And then, that, then I remembered that was the day I was supposed to die, you know, and it never happened. God protected me from that. Um, so because of all these suicidal thoughts that I had, it, it just, you know, I'd be, I'd be, I know there's different types of depression, but this was a demonic kind of depression because I could, I could be sat down in a youth group completely fine one minute and I'd just feel this dark cloud come over me and then I'd be like just really like dark, dark mood and just really depressed. And uh, it come to a point where one night I was, I just had enough and uh, I had like this little minivan. Um, I was still living at my parents' house at the time, so I climbed out the bedroom window and jumped down and I got into this, into this minivan. It was probably about 10 o'clock at night and I went up to a place called Portsdown Hill. So it's a big chalk cliff that faces down into Portsmouth and uh, there's a road that goes over the top of it. So I found a good place to drive off the edge, turned the car around and uh, remember this is a minivan so I tr tried really hard to get up to 60 miles an hour it was like 45.6 47 48 and um, eventually I got up to 60 miles an hour and went straight off the edge of, of, of the road to fly down over the cliff face and I remember closing my eyes expecting nothing but death and pain and uh, and then suddenly this bright white light from behind me lit up the car and it was so bright that I could see through my closed eyelids. You could see the outline of stuff in the car. And then this amazing piece just fell over me and I blacked out. And then when I came to, the car had crashed, nose dived and then landed on its roof. And I was completely unhurt, no whiplash, nothing. Didn't I, not have a scratch, not even a speck of dirt, dust or anything on me. And uh, I got out, I was pretty unhappy because it's like I'd <laughs> not succeeded again. And and, and I heard the audible voice, well, near the audible voice of God saying, you're not dying because I've got work for you to do. And so I clambered back up to the top of this hill in like slippers and whatever. And, and then this is the cheesy bit, but this is true. This white car pulls just right up, just stops. And you know what? I don't even know how the door opened, but somehow the door opened and it wasn't a Tesla. It just opened. And, and there was a, an old guy in there with a big bushy white beard. And he said to me, do you want to lift home? And I said, yes, please. And I get, I get into the car and then everything becomes really dreamlike. And I couldn't, everything's all peculiar and weird. And I never told him where I lived. 
and he just drove me straight to my house, dropped me off, and then, and then off he went. And so that was, that was like my first major experience with an angel, I believe, at that, that particular time. Um, and so with all of these weird experiences I had growing up, I, even as a Christian, I was still questioning, well, what are these things? You know, what was all this UFO stuff that led me into the occult? Because I still didn't understand, and why me? And I was still riddled with these questions. And uh, I'm, I had a Christian friend in Guernsey. He said, hey, do you want to come over to Guernsey? Here's your ticket. And so and I, I went to go off to Guernsey. And, and uh, the night I was supposed to fly over there, something happened on the, the airport, so we couldn't get over there. So... So I just prayed, said, Lord, I'm stuck here. I need someone to put me up for the night. And I just, again, I just don't know how this happened. But some guy said, hey, you look like you're lost. You, you, and I explained my situation. He said, oh, you can stay at our house for the night. And he was a Christian. So I was like, oh, great, yeah. So I stayed at his house that night. And again, it must be about 3 o'clock in the morning. And I was looking up at the ceiling just because I couldn't sleep. And I noticed how the ceiling was black, but blacker than black. And then I knew something was wrong. And then this thing just descended from the ceiling down toward me. And as it came closer, suddenly I felt the fear just, you know, rocket inside of me. And I wanted to say, in the name of Jesus, but I was just panicked, stricken with terror. I just couldn't do anything. And all that came out of my mouth was the word Jesus. And in an instant, Jesus appeared. This thing went, and then Jesus went instantly after him. And then, and then the Holy Spirit just spoke to me saying, now that same feeling you experienced from that demonic spirit was exactly the same feeling you got from all that ufo stuff and then he decoded the the delusion that all that stuff is just demonic delusion and uh, and and so the same wicked feeling and presence and terror that you got from that was exactly the same you got from a demon so it was almost like god allowed me to experience that to see the re the the truth of my past through the lens of the way god wants me to see it rather than the lens of delusion that there are peace loving space aliens and all that kind of stuff because it's just not true the thing is with satan he's he he does it, he does lying wonders they're powerful they're they're very alluring but they're just parlor tricks they're not real they have no real substance to them they look real you can touch them you can feel them but they're not real because they're lying delusions they're to delude you to believe a lie and, you know, Satan's doing that all the time right now. And so after these experiences and after taking my life, um, it, it, you know, I, I come to a place of desperation. Like I can't live with this kind of depression. And uh, I used to go to uh, some full gospel business fellowship, Men's International, FGBMFI meetings. And I remember going forward one night and saying to these guys, look, I've been really depressed. I've been trying to take my own life several times. Could you, could you pray for me? So I had like all these men, they all gathered around me and they prayed for probably about 15 minutes. There was no demons cast out or anything like that. But, but that night something just changed and my personality literally flipped overnight. I had a sense of humor. I'd never had a sense of humor before. I was just this dark, depressive kid, just like, oh, just, just me on my own all the time. Uh, and, and I woke up to being this new person, which was a little bit weird because it was like, who am I? Um, and I've never had that kind of depression ever since. You know, God just completely delivered me of that. It, it, was, it was a real miracle. Um, and then, and then from, on from that, you know, then I had some deliverance ministry as well. I had some guys in the church that, you know, kind of knew what they were doing. And because of all the witchcraft stuff, they again, they took me through some stuff. And, that, and that, that really helped me. And I know deliverance ministry is is one of those uncomfortable subjects because if we're all honest with ourselves 
They did it back in the 80s and 90s, and man, they really over, overplayed the hand on that. You know, like, like you pick up your cornflake box and there's a demon under it or something. They just went too far with it. And, and, and then it went out of vogue. Do you remember? It was like everyone was doing it, and then it just went out of vogue. And now no one wants to touch it anymore. But, you know, for like our church in our area, we're one of the only churches that actually do inner healing and deliverance ministry to people. Well, we get people from like really far away coming just to get some ministry. You know, a lot of people think they've got demons, but actually they haven't. You've got inner pain or inner trauma, things that you need to deal with. But some people have had demonic stuff and they've been set free. And I think part of the church's responsibility, especially if we're, if we're believing God for revival, is you're going to get a lot of messy people coming in through the door and we need to know how to be able to deal with that mess. Okay? What about the, the story of the guy whose girlfriend slept with the witch? And then... Yeah, I mean, we, I see this a lot where, you know, I had a phone call from one guy who's a Christian guy who said, yeah, you know, um, I used to be, everything used to be fine. He said, then I met this girl who was a witch and I slept with her and now I'm seeing demons and stuff and, and I'm, I feel like I'm losing my mind. Um, and that's because they don't understand what sexual sin can do to people and how it can bind you and tie you up to things. You know, there's a, there seems to be this lack of understanding of the spiritual power of sex and sexuality. And that's why, if I'm treading on any toes here, that's why it's so important that the churches get this right when it comes to... Um, uh, sexual identity and the issue of sex in marriage, etc. Because there, there is a real, you know, people can really open themselves up to some really dark and dangerous stuff. Not everybody, but you, you can do it. And so, you know, that's why it's like, stay pure till you're married. Um, and so, again, one of the other side effects that I used to get from being involved in witchcraft is I used to suffer from paranoia. And um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. That sense of uh, never, never fails, never gets old. Um, but I used to be really brutally paranoid. Uh, I would constantly be thinking people were thinking Ill, Ill of me or saying things behind my back. You know, by this time I was so. I'm, you know, by this time I'm talking when, when I got healed of paranoia. I must have been in my mid late thirties. So I'd been walking with that for a long time. You know, and, and someone would send you a text, and you would like. It was like I couldn't read it right. And I just think, oh, they're just speaking evil things about me. And, I, and it really messed up my thinking. Um, and I remember going to work as a guitar teacher. And if I, if I saw like the head of music in his office with another person, it'd be like, they're talking about getting, sack, getting you the sack. You know, just how just mad it was. And I remember um, I, I was in this stage show and I was in the pit orchestra. And uh, what happened? I, that was it. It was never properly rehearsed, this show. And uh, there was this particular song that came in for a click track, which I didn't know was going to happen. So this click track came in and, uh, and something just went terribly wrong, but it was my fault. And I remember the stage manager coming up to me saying, don't you ever do that again? Because that was it. I, all the lights went. I couldn't see what I was doing. And I came in a semitone out on this song, right? So the whole orchestra were like, he's a semitone out. So they all had to transpose their music on the fly, a semitone out. Of course, the bass player at the back, he's just playing his thing. And it looks like he's the idiot playing as a semitone out because he's the only one that's not playing it right. Um, and I remember afterwards, you know, the stage manager said, don't you ever do that again. And because of my paranoia, I was just in such a bad place. You know, there's that old saying, flight or fright. Uh, I just like, when it came to the evening show, I was so petrified. And, it, and what made it worse was, uh, it was a good joke to be fair, is that we're all sat in, all the musicians are sat in this big room, we're all eating our dinner, and the, the main stage guy come, came over to me, he said, Chris, 
because I was, we're all to wear black, but my, my, I was slightly not quite black, my shirt. And he said, I thought I said to everyone, you know, you got to wear a black shirt. And then someone shouted out, yeah, it's a semi-tone out. And everyone <laughs> laughed. And I was just like, oh no. So I felt, I felt awful. And, I, and that night, I just come to the end of myself and I said, God, I can't live like this. Surely Christianity has an answer for this because if this is good as it gets, it's rubbish. And, uh, and then over a period of two weeks, just something was happening inside of me. And then I remember just sat down on the park bench and looking at the sun and then it just gone. I knew that it had gone. And I remember walking into work the next day on Monday morning and I saw again the head of music in his room talking to someone. And then I heard the old echo of how I used to think, they're talking about you. But now I was set free from it. And I was just like, wow, you know, how much torment we can put ourselves in. Because again, not being set free from things in my past. Um, where are we up to now? You know, I appreciate for some that my testimony might be quite difficult. Because again, you know, in the West, we like to use things like cessationism in our theology to justify why God doesn't do the supernatural. Or we try to use like various types of psychology or rationalism or logic or worldly thinking to understand that actually God is just very natural, very normal, and he doesn't do the supernatural. And all that passed away with the apostles and all that kind of stuff. You know, when I came from darkness into light, I had a very strong conviction that if that's what the devil can do, and he's a created being, then how much more can the creator do? And so I've always had that mindset that God can do way, you know, I never had this kind of yin and yang thing where it's like the devil and God are fighting and maybe God will just about make it. It, it, it wasn't like that. It was, no, God is infinitesimally more powerful than we could ever even imagine. So... Where am I up to now? So, yeah, so, and then I eventually, I got married and, and I had kids and, and I started to have a normal life. Um, but just before I got married, I felt God was saying to me, you need to go to Israel and there I'll show you what, what your will is, for your, my will is for your life. And I was like, okay. And if I had no money, I couldn't get to Israel. And that, I think that week, then I had a tax rebate come through and I had all the money that I needed. So I bought myself a little toy that I wanted and had bought all the air flight and stuff. And, and I went out there and met some friends and things. And it was on the last night that there was this big, like international Messianic Jewish celebration. People coming from all around the world. You had people like uh, Morris Sorello there. You know, I was right on the front seat. I got spat on him by him. Such a, such a privilege. And uh, so I had all these great preachers there. And, and it, was, it was a great evening. But afterwards, um, I, I was sort of just milling around. And, and this Canadian guy came up to me and he said, son, he said, I believe God's called you to be a prophet to the nations. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. I didn't really know what it was. Because um, I was only 21 at the time. And uh, so he anointed me with oil and he prayed over me. And then someone else, then about a few minutes later, came from America. And he came up to me and said, oh, I believe God's called you to be an end time prophet to the nations. And he said, but you're going to have to go through some stuff to be able to work with that kind of, that kind of an, uh, authority, which I didn't really like that part of the prophecy so much because I was like, oh, that doesn't sound good. And so basically, I, you know, and, and God told me also on that, that trip that in a year's time, you'll be married. And a year later, almost to the day, I got married to the wife I'm with now. So, so that, was a, that was, a good, was a good trip. Um, and nothing for the first five years happened. I had a very normal married life. Um, you know, we didn't have children until actually after five years of marriage. So had a really, you had a really good first five years of marriage. <laughs> <laughs> that came out really wrong, didn't it? <laughs> Is this being recorded? 
I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> we heard I mean, it like that. Yes, you heard it. Like that. I mean, yeah, it was a good foundation of five years for our marriage, so which we, which we really enjoyed. And nothing unusual happened. And then it was after after five years, and I suddenly had the first of a series of dreams. And so I'll talk about that in the second session and how that led me to kind of where I'm at now uh, in respect to the prophetics. It's it's been quite a journey in itself. Um, and so I, I was a full-time musician for 15 years. God was really nice to me because I always wanted to be a musician. And, I, and, and obviously God wants me to have do what he wants me to do, but I also want to be a musician. And I said, Lord, can I please be a musician? So he basically permitted it, gave me the wisdom to, to, to do what I wanted to do. And I did that for 15 years and I really enjoyed it. It was a really one of the best jobs I ever did. And, uh, and then eventually, towards the end of that 15 years, because I had a real love for music and I, and I vowed I will never, you know, I would, I would never leave this because this is my perfect job. I love this job. I was out doing it. I was teaching it, playing. I was just doing guitaring all the time, whether it was in pit orchestras, in a band or touring or not touring, um, just going around doing stuff or I was in teaching in schools and things. I just, I just loved the job. And then slowly but surely... Um, my interest in the job just began to wane. I spent hours practicing and practicing and practicing. And then it just like got really started to get bored. And it was then, then that God started putting that calling in me. And I remember um, we joined this church called Living Word, which is what I run now. And the, the main pastor there, he's like saying, you know, I really feel God's called you to leadership. And when he said, I just, I'm not lying, felt cold chills run down my spine, but not in a good way. I, that was the last thing I wanted to do in my life. I, I wanted to be a rock star for Jesus. That's what I trained for. That's what I've been praying for. But that's not what God wanted. And he wanted me to be a pastor. Um, and so I, I took, the, took the dive and, and became a pastor. And it, it, it's been a tough, the first, first four and a half years of being a pastor, because, you know, uh, didn't, I didn't have any training. I had no mentors. I had no one to kind of bring me up like that in the faith or, you know, or come alongside me and learn from me. I had none of that. So the first four and a half years were just a nightmare. Um, and as you can imagine, all the crazies, yeah. the flakes, fruit, fruit cakes, oh, wing nuts, whack jobs, they all came. And so they, uh, no disrespect to them, but they, you know, and all the people that want to be in leadership, but for good reasons why they're not in leadership, try to take over your church. So we had all of that nonsense. Anyone else here experienced that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's laughing. You all know. You all been there. Um, but it's a, it's a great training ground, right? So, uh, and it was, it was only then into the fifth year that actually I began to enjoy it because God really turned it around. It was almost like we had to go through that, that, that stuff. And, and I, I remember a pastor saying to him, I said, you've been through more in three years than I've been in 30 years of ministry. Some of the stuff and the challenges we had to deal with. And again, you know, the power of Satan trying to do stuff in our church, you know, um, which was which was really quite, quite crazy. But God got us through it. And, and here we are now. But um, in 2019, I took my children to um, uh, trampoline park and um, Zach was at Bible college at that time. And so it was my three younger ones and just playing on the trampoline park, you know, one of those big sort of, what's it called? Flip out. Flip out yeah. yeah. I checked out, flip out. And, and so we were just playing around and, and I just started to feel a bit ill. I just said, oh, you know, I'm just, just going to sit out for a bit. Uh, and I don't really remember what happens here, but this was on caught on camera and stuff. And my kids remember. But uh, I went out to get like our socks and shoes and things and told the kids to come on. Uh, and then I just suddenly felt sick and I was sick. And I collapsed to the floor 
And, uh, and then these guys thinking, oh great, he's sick, you know, I'm gonna have to clear up this mess. And then they came over to me, they could see that I was not in a good way. They put me into a recovery position and they were just talking to me and they said, they said your eyes were just watching us as we were talking to you. And then you just died, you just stopped breathing. You just died straight. And, uh, and then for the next 20 minutes, they were having to do CPR on me. One of the guys that was doing CPR on me, his diet dad had died the week before and he was doing CPR on his dad and his dad died. So goodness knows that the trauma those poor guys had to go through. Um, they gave me, uh, I think it was four electric shocks with one of those uh, defibrillator devices. Mm-hmm. And then after the fourth shock, I then came back. Um, so, so no one knew what was going on. My kids were taken off into another room. They didn't really know what was quite going on. And uh, then I was rushed to, rushed to hospital, put into an induced coma. And then my wife, she just put it out on Facebook saying, I don't quite know what's happened to my husband, but he's collapsed at a trampoline park. Can people please pray? Mm-hmm. And it just went viral. There were people all around, I don't know how, but people all around the world picked up on it. Um, it was like even on some famous worship leader's Instagram account, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It just went everywhere. And, uh, and, and people that, other pastors that knew me, they, they just, they all just stopped what they're doing and started praying for me. They just knew that this was wrong, that this was not right. And uh, everyone, everyone said, you know, there was no hesitation of any doubt. We knew that somehow you're going to come through this so i died on a friday and they when i come back again they put me into an induced coma and i and and when throughout the weekend they were doing tests on me and i failed all the glasgow tests which showed i had quite strong brain damage so the the basically doctors said to my wife and my father-in-law at the time said you know i'm sorry but it looks like he's got brain damage it, we're going to have to wake him up. He might not even wake up. And if he does, he might have to spend the rest of his life in a rest home, um, you know, because they thought it was going to be that severe. And my, my father-in-law just got up and said, yeah, well, that's what you say, but that's not, but our God has the final word. And of course, the doctor looked at him like he's a, no, one of those guys. And, uh, and my wife, she was, you know, I was just literally black and blue from head to toe, wires all in me, tubes in me. And, you know, when you see that, I mean, if there's ever a thing that will just deplete faith, I mean, especially when you're that close to someone and, uh, and she, she just didn't know what to do. And uh, so she opened the Bible and it randomly just fell open to Hebrews 11, which is faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not yet seen. And then as she looked down, it said how God brought back loved ones from the dead. Wow. And, uh, and so she just knew, right, this is it. And so she, she just prayed over me all night. Um, I mean, she, she doesn't know how she got away with it because it's, it's in an ICU, so all these other people there, and she's praying, and just and then I had some other women come in that were singing over me and declaring scriptures over me. And then on Sunday morning, um, Zach was leading the worship at church, and I did, and he got the phone call saying that I've come out of my coma and I seem to be completely fine. Uh, and I had no, no brain damage, nothing, you know, just completely, absolutely fine. Uh, and, and then that made, that made local news so I kind of came in a bit of a local hero. Then it made national news. And then it was on one of those, you know, those BBC 999 type programs. Mm-hmm. It was called Close Calls. Then I got filmed and put on that. So then it became the you know, national. And then, it, and then I don't mean, I don't know how this stuff spreads. And then it went to like all the main press. And then it went to all the international press. So I, there was even in Chinese and Japanese, there was like a picture of me in my bed and stuff. And, but they all picked up on the same thing. They all said, they all thought it was quite funny. Pastor dies on Friday and comes back to life on, on Sunday. So they all saw it. And it was just like, okay. And, uh, you know, they all thought it was great. I personally, I didn't at the time. Um, but then, 
But they, they didn't really fix what the problem was. Um, so they put like a defibrillator device inside me, which is still there now. And then in August 2021, me and Tracy were going for a, a walk in the country. And where we walk, you, there's never any cars there. Never. You know, just maybe once or twice every time we've been and never. Just nothing. And uh, we're out in the middle of nowhere. And um, we're walking up a hill and I'm on the phone and Tracy's saying, saying, be careful. Don't, you don't want your box to go off and give you a shock. And I was like, oh, shut up. And, uh, and then... Bang, I just said, it's happening again. And then I got one shock, and then another shock, then another shock, then another shock. Mm -hmm. The box shuts down after four shocks, because it's like, well, you're obviously not gonna live, so I'm just gonna give up now. And, uh, and then I passed out. My wife was doing CPR on me for like 20 minutes, nothing anywhere, and she just said, she was just at the end of her tether because it's exhausting to do that for that long. And she just cried out saying, God, will you please help me? And while she's doing that, she's hitting me saying, you've got 40 years left in you yet. <laughs> she like, that's properly hit me. And, uh, and as she cried out that prayer, this car just came over the top of the hill and came down. And a woman who's fully CPR trained, first day trained, jumped out of the car, gave me mouth to mouth and, uh, and started pressing on my chest and stuff. And, and uh, again, I was rushed to hospital. I'd had... Um, uh, is it hypoxia? What's it when you got no, not enough oxygen to the brain? Yeah. So I, when I came to, I was like screaming, doing some crazy stuff because I was just completely starved of oxygen for about 20 odd minutes. Um, and again, when I was in hospital, my heart was so bad that I, I even put a little thing on Facebook and it stressed me out so much. I went into cardiac arrest again. I had another four shocks. And, and, uh, and whilst it was shocking me, all the nurses ran in because um, you know, I just looked, looked at the, uh, the old heart monitor and it went from 99, 157, 199. And I was like, help! So they all ran in, a big crash cart coming in. I was like, oh man, I don't want that. I've been watching all those like Chicago Hope. I was like, I can cope with this thing in here, but I don't want none of that. And uh, so this machine in me was giving me all these shocks. And then um, and I shouted out everyone. I said, just pray, will you please just pray? And you could feel, feel this awkwardness in the room. <laughs> but but, there, there, was some, but there, was some, there was some African nurses there as well. And they were actually praying. And immediately, as soon as they started praying, the, the heartbeat came right down. Even the, the machine that was giving me a shock, even the pain just dulled when it was giving me a shock. And everything just stopped, went back down to normal. But because a doctor realized how bad that I was within days he sent me off to a specialist in Brighton then they found there was like a shadow on the heart and the electric current was getting stuck in it which was causing it to flip out and so they fixed that and so now I'm mostly okay now so praise God for that so um, yes that's my uh, a brief introduction to my story so far